Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 410, Don't Fall Off. This week, Steve returns to his teaching on the Beatitudes with, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As he demonstrates, there's a legal, moral, and social implication connecting righteousness and justice. Let's find out what that means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some translations say who hunger and thirst for justice. We're going to talk about the connection between those two words a little later. As this lockdown continues to go on and on, we're in week seven. I'm sure some of you maybe have been even longer than us. I think it's giving us a deep sense of hunger. We are hungry for connection. We're, we're hungry for our, our family, our kids, our grandkids, for some of us, for our parents. Um, we're, we're hungry to be able to go back to work and enjoy the fellowship with our, with our co-workers. We're hungry for just fuller daily activity. And, and some of us are hungry for a, this sense of accomplishment that, that normally just provides the rhythm to a day and a week and moves us forward. We are understanding more about hunger right now. <coughs> Excuse me. I said, I think in the very first week, or maybe it was second week, I said that this pandemic is an opportunity. I think it's an invitation from the Lord to, to reorient our lives. We're in a time that, at least for me, these Beatitudes are becoming more and more tangible. I, I pray the Beatitudes most days. I've done that for quite a long time. But I'm praying them with a greater sense of not only urgency, but awareness. And I think that's what this time has, has done for us. When I started this series, I said that for a number of the church fathers, they saw the order of these Beatitudes as not being random, but as, as being very intentional, like steps on a ladder. And that each beatitude is connected to the ones that came before us. Um, I think it's so important. Again, I said this early in the series, especially for us with a Western mindset, that we don't use these as some kind of scorecard, some kind of way of attaining spiritual things, but recognize they are an invitation from Jesus calling us more and more into Him. I said uh, early on, with all my heart, I believe the Beatitudes are, are His biography. They are who He is. And as we begin to press into Him, as we, as we really come into a place of closer and closer unity with Him, I think the Beatitudes in some ways are like the Galatians 5 fruit of the Spirit. But they're all connected. And it's really important tonight as we come to this one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is really important that we recognize that we're on a journey. And here's how we got there so far within the Beatitudes. It's only when we come from being poor in spirit, from realizing we have nothing, and that we we come from that into a place of mourning. We are, we are mourning uh, our own sin. We are mourning loss in our lives, 
Uh, we are mourning for the world. And you know, I shared on this beatitude, it's probably five weeks ago, and, and I felt a little out of step because I said, you know, I'm not feeling so much anxious as I am mourning. And now it makes perfect sense because I think it's become a almost a global emotion. So when we move from being poor in spirit to a deep mourning, and then from there we move into a place of meekness, praos, we talked about that quite a bit two weeks ago. It's only when we're in that place of weakness, of humility, of acceptance, that we can then be ready to cry out for justice. I think otherwise, we, as we cry out for justice and righteousness, uh, we can fall into either a, a sense of self-righteousness or judgment of others uh, or even a militancy. We've all seen this um, in, 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 expressed sometimes in the church, in the media. And of course, as I've said so many times, there is there's nothing of militancy Jesus is always the way of canonic, self-emptying love. So as we go into this beatitude tonight, I want to make sure that foundation is laid. We only get here by being poor in spirit. And that's an ongoing process. And then by, by entering into a deep mourning for, our other, for ourselves, for others, for the world, and from that morning, it takes us to a place of meekness, humility. And then, then we're ready, I think, to begin to touch what it means to be, to hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. You know, it's interesting. I've said, uh, even to my sons for, for years, I said to them, if you're going to follow somebody, follow someone who walks with a limp. And in the last few years, I've, I've heard them telling others. But the other thing I've told them is, when there's a prophecy, listen for the sound of tears in the prophet. And I think this is, ties right in with what I'm trying to say tonight, that we must not be militant, we must, must not be self-righteous, we not, must not be judgmental. But we, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Okay, let's begin to look at it. Blessed, and we've talked about what blessing means. But tonight, let's move into those who hunger and thirst. This is strong language. The, the language in the Greek is, is a lot stronger than, oh, I feel a little bit thirsty. I think I'm going to have a sip of my coffee. Ooh, I'm glad I did. This reflects a deep awareness of profound need. It's, this is not a hunger that is like a passing feeling. Imagine the constant hunger of the people we're trying to reach and minister to in all these various countries in the world right now. I think right now we're in six, and I think next week we go into a seventh country to go to desperately, desperately hungry people. Imagine the constant daily hunger that they face. The fact that two billion people are hungry. Um, this is the strength of the words that Jesus used here. 
He's not saying, blessed are those who hope for righteousness to come. Or, blessed are those who promote righteousness. No, he's saying, blessed are those who are desperately hungry and thirsty for righteousness. There's a deep, deep longing that is expressed here. Jesus blesses those who want what is right as urgently as a person in the desert wants a glass of water. This is a theme throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, Again, listen for the sound of tears in the prophets. When you read Amos, when you read Micah, when you read Zephaniah, when you read Zechariah, and on and on. Let me just give you a few uh, pretty well-known passages about hunger and thirst. The first, uh, the first three, I think, yeah, are from the Psalms. Psalm 42. This was the almost the anthem for those of us who were in the church in the 70s. <clears throat> As the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? A favorite psalm of mine for years has been 63. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Psalm 143.6. This jumped out at me the other day. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. You hear in the psalmist, there's a, there's a desperation. There's a deep yearning that's expressed in these psalms. And it's the same expression that Jesus uses in this beatitude. One of my favorite chapters in the prophets is Isaiah 55. I think one could teach on Isaiah 55 for a couple of months and and still have more to do. But it opens with something, again, pretty well known. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. This passage in Isaiah is addressing everyone who will acknowledge their need. It's it's an open invitation, but it's for the ones who, who respond, say, that's me, that's me. There's no way, according to this passage, to satisfy this deep longing in anything that we might pursue. These pursuits, which of course are what the world offers us, but these pursuits are a distraction from the truth. See, I think the Beatitudes are about deep truth. They're about a reorienting, a a refocusing our lives. And so the Lord is inviting us to reorient our whole lives around Him. We talked recently about the cross, which is the axis of love around which the entire cosmos now rotates. It's the center of everything. 
Jesus is calling us in the Beatitudes to radically reorient our lives. I've always loved John 7, 37. On the last day of the, of the Passover feast, the, the temple's crowded, Jerusalem's crowded, and suddenly Jesus did something that he didn't do much of at that point. He shouted out, he cried out, it says in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He said in, in his encounter, remember with the Samaritan woman in, in John 4, and they're having this dialogue back and forth, and there's so much richness in that. And ultimately, she, she is freed from shame, and she runs back to the shamers, in her village says, come, come meet a man who told me everything. She's the first evangelist in the Gospels, by the way. But in this interaction, before she goes off to the town, Jesus said, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Do you hear in both of those passages, there's an imploring, there's a, there's a wake up. I was just reading about that this morning, that, that Jesus calls us to wake up from, from what some theologians say is a mass hypnosis, that we are caught up in the unimportant, the non-eternal, ultimately the non-significant, and he's saying, wake up. And he, he says, drink, drink. This is real drink. This is real food, which of course is what he said in John 6, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together later if you want to stay and join us. And, and that's part of what he says in John 6. So this whole theme of being hungry and thirsty carries right through the end of the story. Let me read you uh, three verses from the very end of the scriptures. Revelation 21.6, To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. If you say you're thirsty, I'll give you this living water. And then in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 1 and then 17. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And now we come to the great culmination of everything. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. For anyone who wishes can take the water of life as a gift. So, all the way through Scripture, this thirsting, it's, it's way beyond, well, I'm thirsty for a moment and then I won't be. It's a metaphor for a deep, deep yearning, and I, I want to go a little further with this. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So what's the connection? God's greatest blessing is communion with him. It's his own heart. It's his greatest gift is his own heart. And this beatitude tells us there is a a link between hunger and thirst and blessing. Because his blessing is in response to our longing. Um, these blessings are not unilateral. They are targeted. They're targeted to the poor in spirit, 
to the mourning, to the meek, and now the spiritually hungry. The grace of God, that's the Holy Spirit. Brad reminded us of that last week. The grace of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to the hungry, not the indifferent. I believe that spiritual hunger is developed. I really do. I'm, I'm now you know, closing in on 44 years in my walk with Jesus. And from my own testimony, I would say it is developed. It, is, it, it, it happens day by day. Step by step. The more we encounter him, the more we long for him. And, and this is partly because we're confronted with the paradox that the, the closer we get to God, the more we encounter his transcendence. What do I mean? As I become more and more focused on his presence inside me, I become more and more aware that he is infinitely beyond me. The thing is, this does not lead to frustration. This doesn't lead to despair, but it leads to wonder. As, As we enter into this journey of hunger and thirst, what happens along the way is wonder. Do you remember last week we looked at Psalm 37, and I think it's verse 11, it says, cultivate faithfulness. No, it isn't 11, it was verse 3 or 4. Cultivate faithfulness. It's the lifestyle, it's the long journey with Him that brings us closer, experientially, because He's always with us. Now, Even our spiritual hunger is itself a gift from Him. To pursue Him is to very quickly be confronted with our own hard-heartedness, at times almost like a a slothfulness. Um, And so what happens? It pushes us back to the very first beatitude that I said is the foundation for the whole Sermon on the Mount. Because once again, I'm confronted with the reality that I'm poor in spirit. And when I'm confronted with that, this takes me to the place of acknowledging that, not making excuses, not denying it, but also asking him, Lord, would you increase my hunger? Because even my spiritual hunger is a gift from him. Remember what Jesus said later in the sermon, chapter 7, verse 7. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we ask him. Now, I want you to notice something that I said early on. We have to be very careful here that we don't fall off to one side or the other. I am not saying that we earn blessing by being hungry. It is that as we move toward him and our hunger turns us toward him, we find ourselves increasingly moving in step with him, more sensitive to his thoughts, 
We're, we're moving, as I often say, in the rhythm of the kingdom and, in fact, the very rhythm of the cosmos. He loves to be found. I recommend sometime you read at a sitting. Read Song of Solomon thoughtfully because it's, it's very much about this being found. Um, Jeremiah 29, 13. 11 is the famous one, but 13 is the wonderful promise. When you search for me, this is the Lord speaking, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. This is his great promise. Now, hunger and thirst are not comfortable. Jesus is declaring blessing over those who are not content with things the way they are. Uh, whether, whether this is in their own heart or I really believe, and I'm going to get to this in a few minutes, that this is a very social beatitude in a very social and ethical uh, Sermon on the Mount and Gospel. That he's declaring blessing over those who are not content with things as they are, not content with how things are in the world. We're going to develop this in a few minutes. Jesus is addressing the people who refuse to, to stifle, to, to push down their deep sense of restlessness, sometimes even profound dissatisfaction. <clears throat> He's addressing and saying they're blessed, those who, who acknowledge and recognize this restlessness because their hunger always points to something greater, the kingdom of heaven breaking in. It's pointing to this longing. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. And it is in the imperative. It is imploring. It's not, oh, thy kingdom come. It is grammatically, come thy kingdom. Be done thy will. This hunger, this embracing dissatisfaction with the way things are, I promise you, will lead to misunderstanding. I think the Lord, rather, I think the world will try to dis, discourage this kind of hunger. Always the enemy uses the world to say, settle down, settle down. But Jesus is blessing that kind of restlessness, that kind of hunger. It's, it's key. It's key to sensitivity to the subtle movements of the Holy Spirit. I know when I'm in seasons of, of real spiritual hunger, it's like all my senses are alert. And, and I those subtle movements, and, and they so often go against convention. They go against expectation. See, this beatitude is closely linked to the second one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who are blessed feel the pain of injustice. They feel the damage of unrighteousness. You know, this is the only hunger in that whole gospel that Jesus blesses. He teaches us throughout the sermon to reject other hungers, hunger for possessions, hunger for money. He's very specific about that. 
hunger for recognition, fame, approbation. He says, reject those, stay away from those. But this one, be hungry, be hungry for righteousness and justice. This week's episode is brought to you by the Impact Nation's 2020 Christmas Catalog. By now, you've probably received your copy of the catalog in the mail. Uh, If you haven't, you can head to impactnations.com slash Christmas right now and read all about every opportunity you have to rescue a life this Christmas. Uh, We have included stories from around the world that demonstrate the radical transformation that comes from this really big gospel. Uh, The one I want to draw your attention to today is from uh, page 8 and 9 of the print catalog. It's called Rescue Two Generations. Impact Nations is partnered with a shelter in Uganda that is rescuing teenage girls from absolutely horrific abuse who have been impregnated at the hands of their abuser, getting them into a shelter, getting them the care and the medical attention that they need to carry their babies safely to term. Uh, On page nine of the catalog is a very cute picture of a couple of twins that were born this year uh, in the shelter. Um, Just in the last few days, we heard of another birth that happened uh, from one of the girls in the shelter. That was actually the fifth baby born in the last two weeks at the shelter. Uh, Impact Nations is just delighted to see the gospel come, the kingdom penetrate the lives of these young women who have known nothing but hardship. Um, And this is an opportunity for you to engage with them as well. Uh, You can help pay for their prenatal exams. You can help pay for their labor and delivery costs, or you can just pay for the entire pregnancy. It's about 600 bucks for the whole pregnancy. Uh, You can even just get uh, prenatal meds if that's helpful, if if something inside of your price range. So there's really something for everybody here. Uh, And that's just one page out of the catalog. There are so so many opportunities this year for you to radically change a life. Um, in addition to all of that, while you're doing that, while you're selecting gifts from the catalog that are going to bless the poor in the developing world, you can actually bless a family member of your own as well. Perhaps you've got somebody you don't know what to get them for Christmas. You're not sure uh, if they're going to need the latest trinket. They've got everything already. Um, maybe you'd like to partner with them in rescuing a life. If that's the case, you can just click, yes, I want to send a card to my friend or my family member. Uh, and you can type up a little message. They're going to get a physical card in the mail. It'll have your return address. So it looks like it's coming directly from you. uh, And it's going to tell them all about the gift that you've given in their honor, uh, such as prenatal vitamins, for instance. Uh, And you can write your own message on the inside. So it's going to, they're going to learn how they have been partnered with to rescue a life. And then you get to tell them why it's so important to you and why you think it's going to be important to them too. Uh, All of that can be done free of charge right on the website as you're selecting a gift from the catalog. So impactnations.com slash Christmas. Why don't you rescue a life this Christmas? Thanks so much. Now, back to the podcast. Let's look at the word that Brad introduced to us last week, and many of you know this word, daikaiosone. What does that word mean? Remember he told us last week that in both the Hebrew and Greek, and for that matter, he said most languages of the world, There's only one word for righteousness and justice because their meaning is is essentially inseparable. The main meanings for that word are righteousness, justice, the state of being justified. Uh, Each meaning has some place in the understanding of this beatitude, so I want to unpack that for a minute. The first one, righteousness. What is meant by righteousness? Righteousness. 
Well, one possibility is that Jesus is referring to those who were burning with a desire for things to be made right in themselves. They were thirsting for their own being righteous. It's a desire to be free from the power of sin. It's a longing to be holy. Uh, we're deeply dissatisfied with the unrighteousness in our lives, and we long to be changed by God's righteousness. Or Jesus may be addressing those who feel they have been wronged, they've been treated unjustly, and uh, they're consumed with longing for the wrong to be made right. But I think it means a lot more than that. In the Bible, righteousness has three main aspects. One is legal. And we talked about legal righteousness when we talked a lot about the cross. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look back on the podcast, the last series uh, on the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the cross starts at 3.11 and I think goes to about 3.16. But we talked about the legal sense of righteousness, but there's also the moral and the social. Legal righteousness is, is really, we use the word justification. And uh, it's about right relationship with God. Paul uses the word often to express justification, and by that he means imputed righteousness. What does that mean? The righteousness of Christ covers our sinfulness. Uh, both Luther and Calvin wrote a lot about that. So that's one meaning for that legal sense for righteousness. The second one is the moral sense. It means right behavior and right character. And it's both, both internal in our thoughts, in our feelings, and external in our actions. Matthew's Gospel consistently focuses on right behavior and right attitude. Uh, Matthew is clearly the most ethical, uh, the most focused on moral righteousness of the four Gospels. Um, it's interesting for those who say, no, no, it's about imputed righteousness. Well, uh, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount does not at all point to imputed righteousness. Now, remember, folks, Jesus came before Paul. And uh, so for me, just so you know, I tend to uh, within, uh, certainly within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and we can talk elsewhere another time, I tend to kind of downplay, de-emphasize the, the legal justification meaning of righteousness in this beatitude. So we've got legal, we've got moral, and then the third one is social. Biblical righteousness is more than a personal matter. This is so hard for us who live in the most individualistic society with the most individualistic worldview uh, bombarding us our whole lives. But biblical righteousness is more than a personal matter. It is concerned with seeking others' liberation from oppression. It's, it's concerned with others' wrestling with, with physical hunger and poverty that are the result of unjust systems. It's concerned with issues like civil rights. 
And uh, we said at the beginning of the series that in order to, to get a right perspective of what Jesus is saying, we need to, to hold both Luke's Beatitudes, those are in uh, Luke chapter 6, and Matthew's together. Uh, because otherwise, we ignore the practical and social nature of the Beatitudes. For example, we've been reading, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Luke says, in chapter 6, verse 21, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be filled. And this is consistent, you know, if, if you look at what's called the Magnificat in, in Luke 1, uh, 46 to about 53, you'll see this incredible prophetic declaration from Mary. And one of the things of this whole new order, the kingdom of God, is that the wealthy, the rich, are ultimately pulled down and the poor, the oppressed, are lifted up. So, the word can mean, and I'll say it again, it's not an easy word for me to say, daikeosune. Uh, it, it can mean righteousness and it can mean justice. So let's look at the link. I, I listened again to Brad's teaching. And by the way, if you didn't hear his teaching last week uh, and you've come on a little later, I said it at the beginning, I encourage you to go to the family page and look back one week ago. His overview on the Beatitudes was, uh, was marvelous. But I, I'm quoting him. He said, Our hunger... Our spiritual hunger is to be extended to the world as righteousness. And the word diakesune means doing justice, bringing justice, and being justice. In my kitchen, and in fact in some of my children's, who are not children anymore, uh, but my kids' homes as well, we have Micah 6.8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Once again, if you even look at Micah 6.8, you see some of this ladder I talked about. Um, that, that the connection that we have to embrace humility in order to long for and pursue justice with a right heart, a humble heart. You know, righteousness in the Old Testament always, always, always had a social meaning. It always pointed to justice, mercy, faithfulness, holiness. I was reading just in my morning reading today, Isaiah 57 and 58. Read chapter 58. We call, uh, for years we called our feeding fund the Isaiah 58 fund because this is what God says. Feed the hungry, take care of the poor and the oppressed. You see, Jesus gave us what we call in, in Matthew 22, the, the great commandment. He said, this is, everything is summed up in this. Love God with your whole heart and love people. True righteousness must lead to justice and mercy. We must insist upon that truth, that, that it is to demonstrate 
the love of God. This is the gospel to demonstrate, like those heroic people we talked about earlier right now, who are working in, in East Asia and in Central Asia and in different countries in Africa and uh, in South America and soon in Eastern Europe, that, that they are demonstrating this is out of their hunger and thirst for justice, for that kind of righteousness that leads to justice and mercy. <coughs> Pardon me, the church fathers insisted that the Christian life is how we live with those around us. Not our doctrine. It is how we live with those around us. They greatly, you know, if you read the church fathers again and again and again, you'll see them stressing almsgiving, acts of mercy. They insisted that the Christian life is less about our ideas regarding God, but rather how we live with those around us. I, uh, I've got an author that, that I like very much. He wrote a marvelous biography of Dorothy Day called All is Grace. Any of you who are looking for what to read on this shut-in time, All is Grace. Jim Forrest. Let me give you two quotes. To follow Christ and turn a blind eye toward the poor is a contradiction in terms. And again, he said this, a Christian is obliged to see and respond to the real world with all its fear, pain, and bloodstain to be a rescuer. I have that underlined. To be a rescuer, to protect the defenseless, to participate here and now in God's righteousness. We're going to come back a little bit later and talk a bit more about justice. But let's go to this second half of the Beatitude, for they shall be filled. The word for filled, or some of your Bibles say satisfied, is an extravagant word. It means filled to overflowing or saturated. Um, on a personal level, which is certainly part of the intent of this Beatitude, we can't just make it social, but personal. This is a promise that the kingdom of the heavens is powerful enough to transform the past. That, that as we hunger for justice, the pain of suffering from unrighteousness done against us fades away in the greatness of God and his kingdom. Secondly, we must not lose sight of the, the word is eschatological, the, the end times, the summing up of everything. We must not lose sight of the eschatological perspective of the Beatitudes. We must remain very aware of the promise of the return of Christ and his kingdom. The early church lived with a great awareness of the day of judgment when there would be both rewards and vindication for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think the clearest passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let me read you a few verses here from 12 to 14. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day... Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 
If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. A reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. The early church believed absolutely, as should we, in a day of judgment where our works, our lives are before the throne of God. He goes on to say a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore, do not make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light, and he will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. I find it fascinating, I have for years, that he doesn't say whatever punishment is due, but whatever praise is due. But there's also... Uh, a more immediate satisfaction in for they shall be filled, they shall be satisfied, um, that takes us back to focusing our hunger on Christ. Remember that really well-known verse in the sermon, chapter 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, Jesus knows that we're made to be hungry. If you don't eat tomorrow, you'll be hungry at the end of the day. If you don't drink water, probably by noon, you'll be thirsty. But it's that what we hunger for is what matters. One of the great, great church fathers, John Chrysostom, it's a lengthy quote, but I think it's wonderful. So helpful on this. This is what he had to say about they shall be satisfied. Because it is commonly thought that the rich are made wealthy through their own greed, Jesus says, in effect, no, it is just the opposite, for it is uh, righteousness that produces true wealth. Thus, so long as you act righteously, you do not fear poverty or tremble at hunger, Rather, those who extort are those who will lose all, while one who is in love with righteousness possesses all other goods in safety. If those who do not, uh, who do not enjoy, uh, sorry, I've made a bad typo here. If those who do not uh, enjoy such great abundance, how much more will they be ready to offer to others what they have? Well, that's a bad typo, but I know, I remember what he was saying. If, if we're going to enjoy that kind of abundance, we're going to have that much more that we can offer to others. We need the second half of each of the Beatitudes. Um, let's look at the second half so far. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The next one, they will be comforted. The next one, they will inherit the land. This one, they will be satisfied. If we pass over the second half of each beatitude, then, then we make the promises of Jesus look too individual. If the promises are just for right now, and they're just for me, we find ourselves looking to see who is blessed. And then that leads us to thinking of the beatitudes once again as is promises only for those who are privileged and who earn them. 
by being poor in spirit, by mourning. We have to be so careful of that. So I think there is an individual promise that says God cannot resist coming to those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness in their own lives and for justice on behalf of others. We see the Lord coming again and again, as I said earlier, to those who cry out in desperation. But you know, don't forget that end-time eschatological view, because the church never lost hold of that. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of final satisfaction that will come as the righteous and the unrighteous stand before God. Now let me shift slightly and talk about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. If you look at many translations, N.T. Wright's translation, for example, it says that, justice, rather than righteousness. Um, you know, for a lot of years, some of you who've been with me for many, many years, you know that I have taught on the theme of justice, that there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible about justice. It is central to what God has revealed about his heart. God cares deeply about justice. I dare say much more than most of the 21st century church does. M.T. Um, Wright has written this about justice. God's justice is a saving, healing, restorative justice because the God to whom justice belongs is the creator God who has yet to complete his original plan for creation and whose justice is designed not simply to restore balance to a world out of kilter, but to bring to glorious completion and fruition the creation, teeming with life and possibility that he made in the first place. Isn't that a great quote? That's from one of his books from, I don't know, 10 years ago, Evil in the Justice of God. It's a great book. Justice is about God coming to set things right. It is the restoration of life as God intended it to be. It's a definition that I've used for years and years and years. At one level, as we get food to the widows who are at the widow's land, and we get them seed that once again they can plant and grow crops and feed their family, that's the restoration of life as God always intended it to be. Psalm 146 is one of many places that gives us a clear picture of the character and justice of God. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. You see, we're just moving in the rhythm of God right now as these meals are going out. It's not because we, we feel bad or we want to be a nice thing. We're crying out for justice. We're crying out. We're saying, Lord, open the way for us. And he keeps opening the way day after day. Incredible connections. It's incredible. It's supernatural, folks. People who are giving from all over the world right now, they give to us and on Monday and by Wednesday or Thursday, it is food in the hands of someone who's on the edge of starvation. That's supernatural. Those are the kinds of things that God does. We're moving in his rhythm. Let me get back to Psalm 146. <coughs> uh, the Lord sets the prisoners free. 
He's led us to that again and again and again. Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless and the widow. When the hungry are fed and prisoners are liberated, when hope comes to the oppressed, when the most vulnerable people in any society, widows, orphans, aliens, are protected, it is because of who God is and because his kingdom has come near. To discover who God really is is to encounter the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows, the orphans, the powerless, the marginalized. I've got a couple of friends going out uh, I think tomorrow or the next day with, with water filters and food and stuff to help the indigenous people, the, uh, the I'm a Canadian, we call them First Nations, the native people, uh, the Navajo, because they're living with contaminated water and not enough food. And we all are watching statistically, whether it's in Australia or whether it's in Canada or America, it is the minorities that have the highest fatality right now because, of course, their bodies, their immune systems are already weaker. It is, it is the poor who have higher rates of, of uh, COVID and, and fatalities from it. There is a longing in God's heart for justice. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. And how does God rescue? Of course, it's his people who bring his justice. Psalm 31.8, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. I think it's impossible to overstate how serious this is to God. We are his hands and feet. We are to represent his heart to the world. This is what the fourth beatitude calls us to. You know, my favorite term for the church is the new community, because I believe it's a whole new kind of corporate life that began on the day of Pentecost. So I never get tired of reading those first four chapters of Acts. I just love that. Um, the disciples will create, disciples of Jesus will create community that does not exclude the poor or other races or the powerless. Look around our lives. When we can go out again, we need to look around. We need to look around. We need to be an inclusive community. The poor are not projects, they're family. At the heart of being a people who reflect the justice of their Father is a deep conviction that He tells us we are here to make a difference. We are here to represent the passionate, compassionate heart of our Father. So in conclusion, boy, this, this beatitude this week has stirred my heart at many levels. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? What does he mean by righteousness? And then justice, of course, for me, it's, uh, it's just a, something that stirs in me. You see, we can, we can personalize these so much, individualize these so much that they become pietistic. They become a, a private faith that we feel better about ourselves. But as we said earlier, church fathers who said that 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 if we are really turned toward Christ, we can never turn a blind eye to injustice, to the poor, to the outcast. God is calling us to look further, to rescue and restore, to be his eyes and ears, his hands and feet. 
And I know that we live in a culture that sees the, the very poor and says, well, that's just the way it is. Or sometimes I hear and it just grieves me terribly. Well, they deserve it. They they're just not didn't try hard enough to keep up. But we're a new kind of community. It's one, it's a community that 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 lives according to the heavenly city, the restoration of all things, that sees Revelation 21 and 22, that that sees us as the river of life, that Christ flows through us. Jesus calls us to break through the pull of our society that, that is still saturated with class distinction. And he calls us to follow him into what he says is true life. We must be the new community, the city set on a hill. Abundant life is for everyone. It begins in this life. And that's why so passionately he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they will be filled. Well, that wraps another episode of the Impact Nations podcast. I hope that this has been an enriching time for you. If it has prompted questions for you, if there's something that you'd like for us to discuss further uh, and more in depth, uh, why don't you drop us a line at podcast at impactnations.com. We'll be sure to include your question in an upcoming episode where we're just discussing uh, some of these things with our friends. Uh, in fact, we've got an episode coming with, up with uh, author Brian Zond uh, later in November. So if you've got a question that you'd like us to discuss during that, uh, if you don't know Brian Zond, he's just an incredible author and uh, will really bring some awesome illumination to the whole topic of the Beatitudes. So make sure you get your question in there at podcast at impactnations.com. In the meantime, please do be sure to check out impactnations.com slash Christmas. Find out how you can radically transform the future of a family uh, this Christmas at impactnations.com slash Christmas. Thanks and have a great week. (music) 